It's the criterion. It's the criterion. 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 N. 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 Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Criterion Project, the show where we talk about movies in the Criterion Channel or collection. And I say we because I'm not alone. I'm here with the great Rachel Wagner. Rachel, how are you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> excited great. to talk about this, uh, this movie today. It's going to be fun. For, yes, exactly. I'm very excited as well because we also have a very special guest. You might remember her from our bells are ringing episode it's katie carter katie how you doing hey i'm great thanks so much for having me back on thank you for being here um before we get into our usual business um katie just in case some people haven't listened to that bells are ringing episode would you like to tell our listeners um who you are and some of the work that you do um yeah so my name is katie carter i have a blog, uh, katieatthemovies.com that I uh, write reviews for. I review a lot of um, current releases, independent releases, so um, you can find uh, a lot of my work over there. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so, and like I said, you can find all of that. Uh, the links for Katie's um, stuff will be in the show description if you want to check that out. Um, so, uh, let's begin, as we usually do, by going around and talking a little bit about something that we've been watching, either in the Criterion channel or something that feels, you know, Criterion adjacent. So, Rachel, do you have something for us? I do. I have been very busy, uh, but uh, I'm starting over on uh, my uh, channel, uh, Family Movie Night. This month, I'm doing uh, classic musicals uh, mm. for the whole month, every Monday. Uh, and so I've already done, posted my review of Oklahoma uh. Uh, this uh, last week. And then this next upcoming uh, will probably be uh, when this uh, episode airs. I'm going to be doing My Fair Lady. So both films I watched in the last couple of weeks. And mm -hmm. uh, it's a, a lot of fun. And I, I, of course, I am a sucker for a musical. And uh, it's really interesting to watch these uh, classic musicals because... Mm. They uh, they kind of I think sometimes are sort of written off as being like light and fluffy, but really, actually, both of these, especially Oklahoma, have like a dark edge to them that I don't mm -hmm. I think people forget because the songs are so kind of fun and well, right. for the most part. And uh, so that was really uh, an interesting experience to watch again because it'd been a while since I'd seen especially Oklahoma. So did you did you like both of them? Mm -hmm. They're on the mm -hmm. plus side for you. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely. I do. I mean, Good. but they both have such great songs mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, the, the production values on both is really strong. Um, they're not perfect. Both of them are perfect. They have their flaws, but overall, I enjoy both yeah. of them. Yeah. I've only seen My Fair Lady of those two. Uh, and I have to say, I'm not the biggest fan. I think I, I, I kind of find it, it's kind of like a little bit long and overstuffed like a little mm -hmm. like the songs are good but there's so much in between the songs and the scenes just go on and every so much of it takes place in that house i don't know it's something about it that um it's not my favorite but they, but i do love musicals as, as you know as well um 
So I'll be looking forward to what else you end up watching for this series. Yeah, it's going to be really uh, fun. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I don't love the ending of My Fair Lady. I don't love that she goes back to him. I wish that they mm, did the same sure. ending as in the Pygmalion um, uh, play, but which it's based off of. But I still just overall find it charming. And the costumes and the, like I said, the production is so strong. And mm-hmm. I really do love the songs. So uh but uh but uh yeah katie what do you think about those two have you seen those recently um i haven't watched them recently well it's been a while since i've seen the my fair lady movie but actually just a couple of weeks ago i saw a touring production of oh, the musical fun. which was really good um i really like it a lot i i think i kind of share the same opinion as you that um the ending i i wish that she didn't go back to him it feels like kind of it kind of refutes a lot of like that big conversation that they have before that but the music is great I like the the banter between the three leads and everything um Oklahoma it's been a lot longer since I've seen that one but um I love the music in that one too so yeah yeah I mean it's it's it is a lot darker than I than yes. certainly I remember. I mean, there's yeah. the whole song where Curly basically tells Judd to commit suicide. It's, yeah. it's <laughs> oh, well, but uh, but anyway, it's it's it kind of adds a layer to it in a way. The mm-hmm. the flaws are kind of interesting to me. So, uh, but yeah, what have you been watching, Conrado? So, um, like I said, I think a couple episodes ago, I've been doing a bit of a. Nicolas Cage retrospective here at my house uh, and I have been catching up with a lot of Nicolas Cage movies and one that I watched recently that feels the most criterion is Adaptation. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it but that's from 2002 directed by Spike Jones and, and written by Charlie Kaufman who kind of writes himself into the movie as he's trying to adapt this book The Orchid Thief into a movie. So Nicolas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman and a fictional uh, twin brother of Charlie Kaufman called Donald. So he has a dual role. And I think um, my impression is that for most people, this they seem to think this is Nicolas Cage's best performance. And I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, even though, I don't know, maybe I like him more than the average viewer. But I do think that he's really great here. And I think... Um, I have a theory that part of why so many people think of this as the best performance, regardless of how good it is, is because he's playing two characters and that kind of allows him to mm. be accepted a little more because he makes Charlie very Nicolas Cagey, very intense. But then he has this Donald character who's much more relaxed and naturalistic. And so you kind of like accept his Nicolas Cageyness a little bit more because of that, I think. At least that's my theory. Have you either of you guys seen this movie? Yeah, I have not, but I've it's got Mel Streep, right? Yeah, Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper won an Oscar for it, too, and, and they're both really mm-hmm. good. But I do think it is Nicolas Cage's show. What do you think, Katie? I was going to say I've seen it, but it's been such a long time. I really don't remember it at all. But, um, mm-hmm. I mean, Nicolas Cage can do no wrong in my mind. So Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, it's awesome that you're that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it all kind of started because I, you know, there's some, he's is such a polarizing actor and I, and I saw the trailer for this movie that's coming out in which he's playing himself. And I thought I should really like, what's the deal with Nicolas Cage? You know, like I should really like take a look at his movies and really try to see him for, you know, kind of for his craft a little bit, um, which is interesting to me always. 
Um, and, and so far, it's been a really fascinating, um, you know, thing to watch so many of his movies one after another. Um, and I would recommend, I, th- I think it's something that I might, might do with some other actors um, after I'm done with Cage. But um, yeah, the def- adaptation, definitely recommend that. It's a very fun uh, kind of meta quirky movie about um, screenwriting in Hollywood. Rachel, it reminded me of The Player, which I know you watched recently and liked. So I think you might like this one too. Yeah, I need. To, it's definitely on my list. One I've been wanting to, wanting to watch. I mean, he has such variety in his roles. I think that that makes him a fun, fun person uh, to, to, to do this kind of project on. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean everything from light stuff like National Treasure and you know things like that uh, to, to the more, you know, heady stuff. So yeah, yeah, cool. And I think that's fun. what makes. Uh, some of my favorite actors is that like very different genres and roles but the performer kind of like you can feel their presence in it like their star charisma there's something about them that remains from road to road that it's very interesting so and we've already talked about my favorite Moonstruck yes of course I love that's my favorite too (laughs) yeah yeah okay he's great in it yeah for sure um but anyway oh well uh, Katie, do you have something that you would like to talk about that you've been watching? Um, sure. Yeah, mine is more like a current release, but I feel like it's something that Criterion fans would enjoy. Um, and it's the TV show Pachinko, which is airing oh. on um, Apple TV Plus right now. And I mainly decided to start watching it because uh, Kogonada directed half of the Mm. series and I'm a really big fan of his um, films uh, Columbus and After Yang and it's just a really great series it's based on a novel and it's this like epic um, decades spanning um, story of this family of Korean immigrants and it's just really compelling. It hooked me from the first episode. It um, is doing a really good job jumping between all of these different characters and eras. Um, uh, Yoo Jung Young is in it and she's amazing. Of course, she was the grandmother in Minari. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really good. I actually don't watch too much TV anymore, but uh, I'm really glad I decided to get on this series. It's it's really 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 good. I think about half of the episodes are out now, and they're releasing every week, so there's still a few more to come. But I really like it so far. Mm, that sounds great. I, I had heard about the book before, and I had heard that there was a series about, it, but I didn't know the people involved. It, you make it sound very intriguing. I also don't watch a lot of TV yeah. <laughs> uh, anymore, but this sounds really good and very. You're right. It's very, it's very Criterion adjacent, so I think that's a great pick. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've great. had it on yeah. my watch list because, <laughs> I mean, not only I've heard it was good, but also Apple sent me this super nice box. Uh, of swag oh. I'm like, I saw you posted that that was really nice yeah <laughs> I'm like promotional materials uh. are more successful in this case because I would not have I wouldn't even have known about it but uh but anyway so I've been meaning to check it out uh but uh all right yeah there you so go. some recommendations all around from the three of us and now we can move on to the main topic of the episode which is <clears throat> the movie 
Merrily We Go to Hell from 1932, directed by Dorothy Arsner, one of the rare uh, women director of the classic Hollywood era. Um, according to Wikipedia, she is was the first woman to direct a sound film that we, at least in in America, and this movie is a sort of a. It's definitely a romance, a drama, a little bit of a comedy. Um, stars Sylvia Sidney as a young kind of heiress, aristocratic uh, woman who falls in love with Frederick March's character, who is a reporter who also wants to be a playwright. The big problem is that he is basically the big problem is that he's an alcoholic. So there, and it's a portrayal of their romance and their marriage and kind of like the hardship and the difficulties that come with that. Um, Am I missing anything, Rachel? Would you like to add anything to this plot description? No, I think that covers it. I think that <laughs> gets it all. Yeah. So what do you think? What else do you think of the movie in general? You know, I really, I really liked it. I, man, Frederick March, he is, he's great. He's so handsome and uh, charismatic because you should not be feeling for this this character because of the way Mm. he treats her. And I kind of wish they hadn't gone into the whole cheating side of it because like you can forgive a lot, but him being a, a womanizer is, is really tough for me to forgive. Hmm. Um, But, uh, but I don't know. I just, I found it interesting and surprising and I just found him to be so charismatic and, very watchable mm-hmm. yeah he is definitely i was i actually i just realized after watching it i had never seen a Friedrich march movie before so this was my first time and um i thought he was really great at playing especially when he was drunk the mix of comedy and tragedy in his mm-hmm. uh, alcoholism and his drunkenness because you know because a lot of people we have to admit even though alcoholism is a problem a lot of people there's a lot of funny drunks and then i've met a lot of them in my life and i think that's an important part of it as well and that's a kind of what makes it you know some of the time i think that's kind of what encourage encourages um that kind of like party behavior you know the fact that people that it can be fun to be around those people until it's not fun anymore, you know? Um, but anyway, I, I thought he was great as well. Um, how about you, Katie? What do you, what do you think of this movie? I love this movie. I mean, I find this whole uh, era of films that it was made in so fascinating. They're like cracked to me. They're just like addicting. Um, and mm-hmm. I, it's been a while since I've watched this one, but I really liked it a lot more when I rewatched it this week. Um, I, I agree with you guys about Frederick March. I think he's really wonderful. And it's kind of crazy to me that I think at the time this film was released, he was his casting was criticized a bit. I think some people felt he was kind of too refined to be playing this sort of character. Oh. Um, which doesn't make a lot of sense because he had literally just won an Oscar for playing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where he's like a little <laughs> monster. But um, but I loved him and I was especially struck by Sylvia Sidney and just how natural her performance is. Um, mm. When she's happy, you really feel like her, her like bubbliness and her smile. And when she's sad, it just breaks your heart. She has such like a 
her eyes are just like so wide. Her smile is so big. I it just, I really felt her performance this go around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had seen him in I Married a Witch. I talked about mm-hmm. it a, a long time ago on this on this show, uh, which was a lot of fun. That's that's a good one. And then I also seen The Best Years of Our Lives, of course, which is mm-hmm. so good. Yeah, that's one of, one of the best, my favorite best winners. Yeah. Ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, it was interesting, but I th- I feel like I still catch myself feeling like the moviegoers of the past were super, super, I guess for lack of a better word, like prudish. And so then when I see movies like this, mm-hmm. that with all of this edge and taking mm-hmm. on, you know, you've got cheating, you've got uh, alcoholism, you've, you've got all this stuff. It always surprises me, right. and you think once I get used to it and be like, "Oh, they," you know, they. But I don't know. I just don't expect that kind of material from something from the '30s. And so that right. was really interesting to me. Yeah. Well, it is. Uh, so much of it has to do with the with the censorship and the um, the production code, the Hayes Code. Um, so this is what um, for the people listening who might not know, this is what uh, people call a pre-code movie, meaning a movie that was made in the early 30s before the production code was imposed around 1934. And after the code was imposed, there were very strict rules about what could and could not be depicted um, in a Hollywood movie, mainly because um, religious uh, groups, particularly Catholic League, had um, threatened to do a boycott of the movies if they didn't like clean up their act. So I think it's interesting, right, what you're saying, Rachel, when you watch these movies from before that time, you see that... Um, audiences um and people were open to some stuff that is um a little like you were saying darker or edgier than we might expect and that had to be a little bit sanitized afterwards but of course there was also controversy about this right because there was this whole threatened boycott and everything um so it's always interesting for me to watch movies around this time and i think katie you were saying that you also feel kind of fascinated about movies of this time am i right Oh, yeah, I've been um, this is like my favorite era in movie history and has been for a really long time. And I think it uh, kind of goes with what Rachel was saying about, you know, generally when we think about movies from the past, from like the 30s through the 50s, we think of them as being um, very sanitized. And then you watch a movie from that time and see them being very forthright about um, topics like sex and violence and alcoholism. And um, it's at odds with that idea. And it's just really fascinating. And I mean, I've seen so many pre-code movies and even the ones that aren't very good are always interesting to me in the way that they (laughs) present those topics. Right. Um, and I guess in this case, I would say that the, the topics that kind of stood out to me were, like you were saying, Katie, the a very, I would say, um, particular depiction of alcoholism. Not what I would have expected from a classic Hollywood movie. I would have maybe thought of something a little more melodramatic or sentimental about uh, the depiction there. Um, this is, seems a little bit more matter of fact and a little bit more kind of like, this is just a complicated situation. We uh, we are not really sure what we can do to like you know um, help this person overcome this thing or not fall into this stuff. And then of course, what you, both of you have mentioned about the the 
Rachel, you called it cheating, and I guess it, it kind of is, but this idea of almost like an open marriage that is imposed on them by later on in the movie and that Sylvia Sidney's character tries to 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 see if it can work. And you know, this idea of like being in the movie, she calls it a modern marriage, right? And I can be a modern wife, uh, which meaning basically we're married, but we're also going out and seeing other people, which also caught me by surprise. And I was like, oh, wow, they were talking about this in the 30s, huh? Interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And she's she's got a cynicism that you don't expect from a character like hers. You expect her to be kind of uh, the sweet housewife kind of character. And and she, you know, she says, I'm not I'm no jailer. You know, that mm. I thought uh, that in the, in the whole, from the very beginning of their marriage, you know, that merrily we go to hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's tries to like start out as that kind of housewife character. Like we see them at the start of their marriage. She's like in the kitchen with the apron and she's making mm -hmm. dinner and all of that. But it goes south really, really fast when she finds that, you know, he's not holding up his end of, of the marriage deal. Well, and when they keep dropping that chicken, I would eat that chicken. <laughs> I would not throw that all away. It's perfectly, I mean, it's your own home. It'd be one thing if it was like, the, street the street or something. Or, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, you're just pick it up real quick. And, you know, not the whole chicken fell on the floor. You know, there's parts of the chicken that didn't hit. Right. <laughs> second rule, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I... I I based on what you guys were saying, I think the um the Sylvia Sydney character is such a tricky performance as well because yeah, she starts out as this kind of like, you know, you kind of feel kind of naive, uh, young heiress, and then she wants to be a housewife, but she's also kind of like, you know, really banking on this guy um being off the wagon or on the wagon rather, and um and, and becoming a successful playwright and using his time of writing instead of going to the bar and, you know, trying to help him and their marriage. And then things take a turn. And, and I think it's really, um, it's a really tricky, I think it could have been a pretty, uh, honestly, it could have been a weak performance in another actor's hands, um, kind of like having to see her put up with all these things that are happening and with this marriage mm -hmm. and kind of like pushing forward, even though there's so many bad signs, even before they get married, you know, he at the engagement party um, where he doesn't come and he's asleep in the back of the car because he's too drunk. And then you just cut to them getting married. And I was a little bit shocked by that. And I was like, Oh my God, no, she's doing it. This is going to be a tough marriage, you know, mm -hmm. um, but she sells it. Well, and then he doesn't have the ring at the wedding. Uh, mm -hmm. So he gives her his key ring. Uh, and so you can, even at the wedding, he kind of messes it up. Yeah. How do you guys feel about, um, do you do you buy that part of it, that, that she would have fallen in love with him so much that she, you know, basically kind of like gives up her inheritance a little bit and she just goes for it and pick and, you know, uh, Well, accepts? and the dad offers him $50,000 to break it off. Right. And, and he doesn't take it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He says, uh, then, uh, uh, and, you know, they say you don't have to wait when you're in love. And so then they get married. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, and then the dad is an, is kind of an interesting character because then he comes back and tries to get her to leave him again. And she still, uh, she, he says, are you happy? And, uh, and here her response is, well, look at the, how hard he's trying. 
Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. actually happy. Do you have thoughts about that, Katie, about her standing by her man as much as she does? Yeah, I mean, I feel like from the start of the movie, it kind of makes us really root for them to make this work. I mean, they're meet cute. I mean, I've read that this movie is often mislabeled as a romantic comedy. And I think some of it has to do Mm -hmm. with their initial like meet cute at the party and these scenes where they're kind of first seeing each other because they are, Mm -hmm. even though he, we see the signs of his hard drinking, um, he's so charming and and they have such a great back and forth and they're so sweet together. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's kind of hard to, even though logically we should think oh this is maybe not a good idea girl um we want them to stay together on some sort of level and figure this out yeah i think you're totally right and i agree with you that that meet cute really does a lot i mean there's such charming people and and beautiful people that you want to see them together and they work so well and that's honestly might be the best meet cute that i have ever seen it was so good and it was like immediately these two are connecting they're so funny they're so on top of each other it's like fantastic you know so i i think you're right that that plays a big role in and and it's to their credit as well that they make it work what do you think about the whole scene when she gets drunk to try to show him what it's like and it totally backfires on her that was an interesting mm-hmm. scene yeah it was. it's so sad <laughs> i know because she thinks he's going to be disgusted but he's like you're great drunk basically you should get tight more often yeah yeah honestly the the whole movie caught me a little bit by surprise i think uh, partially because of what katie was saying i think i went into it also thinking that it might be kind of more of a rom-com situation and it ends up being kind of like a pretty you know sophisticated uh, complicated drama towards the end um and things start to get really serious and you know that scene that you're mentioning rachel is one of the big ones um Mm -hmm. and then as the movie keeps going it becomes more and more dramatic and the ending i thought was really really tough and also really moving that very last scene at at the hospital um you know and and just the last line of the movie when she calls when she says my baby my baby to him um i i thought that was so so sad and and it moved me very much um, in a way that i wasn't expecting going in yeah yeah it was devastating you really felt for her in that uh moment uh did you all notice the uh the little uh little role from Cary grant that was did we notice of course we noticed it's <laughs> Cary grant and <laughs> he's great this is only his fourth role yeah. yeah and he's really good um kind of different from the usual Cary grant that we get later on in his career you know obviously before he was a star he's kind of playing like a interesting kind of like handsome but buffoonish in an unusual kind of way mm-hmm. uh, do you guys agree with that I think yeah, so. I mean, this is yeah. a really small role. Yeah, but... it's definitely still like very early, still like figuring out what sort of screen persona mm-hmm. that he would have. Um, yeah, I, I have to respect that, you know, first time she steps out, her side <laughs> is very grand. <laughs> yeah, nothing worse than like say, let's open our marriage, and then your wife walks in with Kay Grant. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I also really liked this movie. Um, I thought it was very interesting, particularly basically what we've been saying, you know, like for the time, 
in the pre-code era to see such a what I thought was a complex and complicated depiction of of this marriage. You know, it's just a movie about two people trying to make a marriage work that has a lot of issues in the middle. The only element that I wanted to ask you, both of you about because it's the one that maybe I was the least convinced by or or maybe that I had the most um trouble with was the ex-girlfriend of Frederick March. So he uh it's just revealed that he had an an ex kind of like uh girlfriend, maybe fiance that it didn't work out and then um she enters re-enters the picture because she's an actress and she's going to act in the play that he's written and once she appears, she basically kind of It feels to me like she wants him back maybe sexually, but not really doesn't want to be in a relationship with him. And also she just like gets him drunk to like in order to like for him to be with her. And, you know, she seemed like a pretty cruel character to me. You know, like I didn't feel like she wanted to get with him. She just kind of wanted to ruin him a little bit and maybe have a little sex with him or something. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you guys think the same? Yeah, it's definitely like And he's kind of cheating on two people there because he's got the mistress but then he's uh-huh. also got Joan and the way he's kissing this Claire at the party was pretty, pretty cold. Mm. Right. Yeah. That scene is, is awful when we see um, Joan's face, when she sees them together, it's really sad, but yeah, I think, I think Claire is the other woman's mm-hmm. name and um, yeah, she is just sort of this like, um, I find her character pretty shallow. She's just kind of there as, as the other woman to break up the marriage. But um, I don't know. I think a lot about like, you know, the entire course of their story could have been totally different had she not been cast in this play and suddenly been brought back into the picture after he had finally maybe gotten over her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably what what I'm bumping against maybe is that it seems like the more uh, an element that's maybe a little simplistic compared to the rest. It does feel to me like the movie is saying that he is falling back into alcoholism or that his alcoholism is tied up to the fact that he's not over this woman really and and, and not much else. Um, You know, she really is the one who makes him fall off the wagon and who um reintroduces alcohol to him and once she enters the picture is when he can't really go back um which i don't know maybe it's fair maybe it's, it is like that for some people but it felt like the rest of the movie was a little more complex to me i felt like it made it harder to root for the character when he when they when it's one thing i guess the alcoholism but the uh the cheating i thought he becomes more unlikable in those once he goes that takes it to that extent i see what you're saying i think particularly because he doesn't seem to be picking up on how much it's hurting her Mm -hmm. right that that she kind of goes along with it but you can tell that she's not really going into it and then of course he keeps going be uh, you know across the line they keep drawing a line and he keeps stepping over it especially once he brings the whole party to their own home and he starts like kissing her at their home i feel like that's really what it what breaks the camel's back there yeah, and at the end, I kind of didn't want her to take him back. Do you think that he t- she takes him back? Because I feel like the movie's a little bit ambiguous about it, and I kind of like that ending for that because it's not clear what 
you know, that her last line, my baby, I thought was interesting in like, I don't know what she's trying to say here. And, you know, and, and I, and I agree with you. I was in a similar position. Like, I don't know if you should take him back. I feel like maybe you're better off without him. Because they kiss, but yeah, that, I guess it's not a hundred percent. There's some ambiguity well, there. There's also ambiguity whether she's going to live, really. We don't really know that she's going to be fine. That's true. I feel like on the surface level, they're kind of delivering on that requisite Hollywood happy ending. But if you read past that a bit, yeah, I agree. There's a lot of ambiguity, a lot of, you know, what happens next? Like they might be embracing as the film ends, but their baby just died. And he didn't know about the baby until like an hour ago. Um, there's a lot that they're going to have to work through if they are going to stay together. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's definitely, I think on the surface, sure, it seems like a happy ending, but is it really? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and I think that's what I... Uh, really impressed me about the movie is how kind of layered it was um, in so many ways and for most characters um, even the dad that we mentioned before I feel like his character is not really the usual cartoony like I'm the old man with the money and I don't want my daughter to be happy kind of thing right but more like a little bit more complex than that and he has a very interesting uh, dynamic with the with the Frederick March character especially that last scene again at the hospital where he you can see where he's coming from, but not wanting to see the, to have her daughter see him. And I totally understood why, yeah. like I would have done the same. Yeah. I thought he was a good character. Like usually these kind of parental figures are sort of just one note. Mm-hmm. jerks. But he, uh, he made a lot of sense and uh, he was, a, I thought a good character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right, all right. So I think maybe it's time to get into our questions um, about the movie. And these are the questions that we ask ourselves every episode. The first one is, what makes this a Criterion movie? So, Rachel, what do you think makes this a Criterion movie? Well, I, I think the pre-code uh, themes I make it stand out. Um, the fact that it does have a female director is unique. Uh, mm-hmm. And I actually think having Cary Grant pop in kind of adds a little bit of prestige <laughs> sure. to it. Uh, Friedrich March. Uh, it, yeah, it was, it's one I, I had never heard of before, you know, we, we started doing this, but, uh, and so, yeah, I, I can see why it was, would be included on the channel. Mm-hmm. How about you, Katie? What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think it's um, such a fascinating time capsule of this era and what, thoughts about all of these uh, values and um, and issues were. Um, it's just really interesting to see that reflected in, in a film from this time. And I think too, of course, Dorothy Arzner being the director, the only woman director in Hollywood at the time is, mm-hmm. is extremely important. And I think, I haven't seen all of her movies, but I think this might be her best one. Um, mm-hmm. I have heard from some people that they say this is her best one. And I mean, and clearly it's one of the ones that they've picked to put in the Criterion collection. And the other one is called Dance Girl Dance, which I'm really curious to see now that I've seen this one. Um, and basically, I agree with what both of you said about why this is a Criterion movie. I think especially what you were saying, Katie, about Dorothy Arsner being one of the 
basically the only uh, female director in Hollywood until basically until the 50s when Ida Lupino came in. Well, actually, the director during the sound era, you know, we know that there were a lot of silent uh, movies directed by women. And actually, Dorothy Arsner started in silence. And then she was basically the only one who remained after the transition to talkies, which I was reading about the history of this movie and uh, Dorothy Arsner. And I found it interesting to learn how much the studios took the opportunity of changing into talkies and also the Great Depression to um, cut costs and you know, reduce the amount of women who were working in Hollywood, which was interesting and obviously um, horrible in its own way, right? So I think it really is, uh, some of it is the historical element of it, being able to find a woman who was so successful as she was at that time, such a rarity, and to, you know, keep those movies alive, um, especially because they're also good, which is, you know, great. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to our next question, which is, where do we rank this in the pretentiousness scale? So we have a pretentiousness scale where zero is kind of like, you know, you're completely um, box office, kind of like local multiplex fair. And 10 is like, Rachel likes to say, uh, Jean-Luc Godard, like a late Godard movie, um, film socialism or um, good fire language, something like that. So uh, where do we think this ranks on the scale, Rachel? I feel like this is hard to to rank because i don't know i'm there's certain parts of it is is it's i guess kind of a sad story it's not very tidy um so it's not like a crowd pleaser in that sense but Mm. i don't feel like it's unapproachable i feel like it's pretty um it's not pretentious in that sense of being unapproachable or or um heady Mm -hmm. Uh, so i don't know i i'd give it i think five Okay. Well, how about you, Katie? I think maybe I'd give it like a three. I feel like it's a pretty accessible movie, even if it's not like a crowd pleaser, as Rachel said. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like its subject matter is um, pretty easily accessible for audiences. And it's also just, um, I think I, I was going to rank it like a little lower, but Thinking about other pre-code movies, this is just really, I think, exceptionally well made. Um, the mm-hmm. way that like Dorothy Arzner moves the camera around, like that opening shot going down to the balcony at the party, um, it's really fluid. And um, I think it's in contrast to a lot of other movies from this time where that um, the camera was like a lot more static. They were still figuring out sound technology. Um, so yeah, I was really impressed with just how this movie looked too. Yeah, I think you're totally right about that. That's maybe something that, um, we, we could have talked a little bit more about earlier about the, just the work of the camera and the direction. And I totally agree with you about that opening shot, which is fantastic of like going through the skyscrapers and then finally landing on this party. And, and there were a couple of shots through the, through the whole movie that kept like jumping out at me like oh this is really good this looks really great um there's a shot in which i think sylvia sydney spots someone in a mirror and then we, the camera turns around to reveal what's going on which i also thought was really good and and overall just like a very very elegant seamless direction from beginning to end i totally see where you're coming from with that katie and i would say that with that in mind i will maybe split the difference between the two of you and give it a four um i do think um 
yeah, I basically agree with what you have been saying. Um, I think it is an approachable movie. It is a commercial movie after all. It was made to be a, uh, you know, seen by mainstream audiences. Um, so the only thing is that it goes into some unexpected places, some dark places, some complex places that maybe it's not what you expect from a old Hollywood movie. But that's also what makes the movie exciting to watch nowadays. You know, I feel like we all have been a little bit surprised with, by where the movie goes. Um, and I think that's a strength. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so um, what else? We have come to the part, oh, the remake remake. section, right? Yeah, so this is the part where we pitch a remake of the movie. How would we uh, do that if we were to um, remake Merrily We Go to Hell in 2022? Rachel, do you have any ideas? I think I have a good one. I do. Okay, go ahead. So I think you do what they did with The Star is Born and apply it to this movie. You get Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, <laughs> and instead of him writing play, you have him writing a musical. So then you can work in the songs. Perfect. <laughs> and it would be really good. <laughs> I would be excited. <laughs> That's really great. Right? I, mean, yes, I, like that. <laughs> I would be down to see Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga reunite. That's for sure. Um, and, you know, as long as there's music in there, that's a plus. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was my great idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How about you, Katie? Do you have a great idea? I don't think mine is a great idea, but um, I keep thinking about Nightmare Alley and how the 1947 version of that movie I think is really great, but the ending, they were forced to tack on by the code, of course, um, this happy ending that feels totally at odds with the rest of the movie. And I feel like with his version, um, Guillermo del Toro, even though I didn't love the movie, he was able to have that super bleak ending that I think caps it off perfectly. So I kind of want to see like essentially the same movie, like set in the same time period. But I'm wondering if they could do something different with the ending. I know we can read some ambiguity into it as it stands, but I think Dorothy Arzner originally envisioned something a little different and I think maybe something that's less obviously happy maybe not as bleak as the book that it's based on where Joan dies and Mm -hmm. Jerry is like too drunk to even remember that she died which is just really horrible but um yeah I'd, I'd be interested in like a different ending that kind of addresses more head on what the future of their relationship is going to be who would you cast Oh my god! Oh my god! I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Just take Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. (laughs) Steal them from Rachel. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I kept thinking about who is a director who can um, bring that balance, which I thought Dorothy Arsner did so well of the comedy at the beginning. And the, and the more dramatic stuff near the end and how the movie flowed from one to the other so seamlessly, in my opinion, and, and so effectively. And and I don't know. I don't know if I could um, think of someone uh, off the top of my head who could do that. Oh, also, I was trying to find, you know, a, a woman director since, you know, this is such an mm. important um, his, uh, historical uh, moment for another female director. So I was kind of wondering about that. The person that I came to mind was um, someone who has 
I don't think worked quite on this register before, which is Kelly Reichardt, who oh. did um, First Cow and um, Certain Women, Wendy and Lucy. So she's done some period pieces, but mostly Western type things. Um, I would like to see her in this in this different kind of vibe and trying to do something a little bit more comedic and then dramatic and, you know, more classic Hollywood. I don't know if she would mm-hmm. be interested at all in that, but I think she's such a great director and she has such a particular vision that I would love to see her in this, like, very different type of setting. You know who also would be really good is Deborah Granick. Oh, sure. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, I could see. Well, Deborah Granick's good. Also, of course, I the first person that came to mind, but I thought was maybe a little too obvious, was, like, Greta Gerwig. You know, like, she, mm-hmm. I know she has, like, a screwball element to her and also the drama, and she is very uh, good, I think, at being very empathetic to her characters and seeing everyone's point of view a little bit in her movies. Um, mm-hmm. So I think she would do also a great job. But but then I thought, oh, of course, you're going to think Greta Gerwig first. That's like the one <laughs> female director everyone thinks about these days. But um, um, yeah, but I do think that she would do a great job. So I would take that. Greta Gerwig with Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga. I would, I would go opening day. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very excited to talk about what we're going to be talking about next. And I was looking for something different, something I hadn't seen before. And I was looking in the Asian American collection that they have out now. And there is a little musical that I had never heard of, I haven't seen, uh, called Colma the Musical. And this is from 2006. It looks really fun. And I'm always up for checking out a, a musical. So. Yeah, um, a, a movie that I had, hadn't heard about before. But then when it was added to the Criterion Collection, a couple of people on Twitter were talking about it and recommending it. So I'm really excited to dive into that. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So that's what we're going to talk about next. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for being on the show. Um, It's always great to have you. Do you have any last thoughts about Merrily We Go to Hell to share with us before we wrap up? Um, Just that I really love this movie. I hope that everybody watches it since it's on Criterion right now. And also check out the rest of the um, collection on Criterion channel that it's a part of, the Paramount Precode collection. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of really interesting movies in there. Some of them I've just watched for the first time. And they're just kind of bonkers. Like, just watch any of them, honestly. (laughs) You're guaranteed a good time. They're like 60 to 75 minutes long. Um, and you'll really get, there's enough, there's a great variety of genres there from horror to comedy to drama that you'll get a really great sense of what this era in Hollywood was like. All right. Do you have anything, any in particular that you'd like to recommend other than Merely We Go to Hell, of course? Well, uh, since we're talking about Cary Grant, there's one called Kiss and Make Up on there that he stars in and he Mm -hmm. plays a plastic surgeon who believes legitimately that he is improving the world by making women more beautiful. Oh, wow. (laughs) It is just a really crazy film that goes in a lot of unexpected directions. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. I had a great time with it. And Cary Grant, um, this is still a very early role for him, but it was fun seeing him, uh, in this early leading man role, I think it kind of indicates the uh, comedy roles that he would have later in his career too. So yeah, definitely check that one out. Great. 
All right. And okay, so I think it's time to wrap up. That's a great recommendation, though. Uh, and I and I was just looking at the pre-code section, pre-code Paramount at Criterion, and a lot of very cool-looking movies that I haven't seen before. Some that I have, some that I haven't. So I totally co-signed Katie's recommendation. And before we wrap up, Katie, would you like telling the audience where they can find you and more of your work online? Yeah. Um, so my blog where I share all of my reviews is katieatthemovies.com. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at that same handle. And my Twitter is L underscore Carter. That's Katie spelled the correct way, K-A-T-I-E. <laughs> Fantastic. (laughs) Great. Thank you for being on the show. Um, Rachel, how about where can people find you? Yeah, you can find us at Criterion Pod on Twitter. So make sure you're following there. But then also you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. And like I said, check out that classic musicals series I'm doing for Family Movie Night this month. And then next month is um, Muppet May, which is always so much fun. Mm. Uh, so a lot of good stuff going on in my channel. But then also check out Hallmarkies Podcast. They had a really, really good movie uh, this last um uh, last weekend uh, on uh, Hallmark uh, that Just One Kiss is called and uh, we're really excited to to talk about it. It was one of the best I've, they've ever done in my opinion. So a lot of good stuff happening right. over at Hallmarkies Podcast. Check it out. Cool. And you can find me on Twitter at Coco Hits and why and also this is my obligatory reminder that the second season of my web series wormholes is still going strong there's about five episodes out by the time this episode airs um and you can find it if you go to youtube and search wormholes the series is a sci-fi comedy wacky adventures heartfelt drama not unlike merely we go to hell <laughs> actually it's nothing like that <laughs> but um but we're very proud of the show and i hope you guys i uh, will check it out and enjoy it Great. all right thanks so much thank bye, you everyone. katie again bye thanks, guys. all right <laughs>